theme as we approach now these last chunks of content in 2 Corinthians. The overall theme of 2 Corinthians has been strength in weakness. If, if, if Paul, through the various arguments and the various things that he has addressed, has had one overarching point, it's this. The gospel moves forward, the kingdom advances, not because God's people are themselves some big deal, but because Jesus is himself a big deal and his strength is made perfect in our weakness, in our inadequacy, in our brokenness, in our confessed inability and manifest lack of capacity. Let's read this concluding paragraph, almost concluding paragraph. Since you seek proof, verse three, I'm in 2 Corinthians 13, verses three through 10. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. We, we live in a, an incredibly self-possessed time. Self-help books line the shelves. Self-esteem seems to be the highest value. Be true to yourself seems to be the most important encouragement we, we give one another in our culture. Self this, self that, self the other. Did you know that according to, to Google research, and I think this is a fairly recent data point, according to Google research, we take 93 million selfies every day. Not year, not week, not month. Day, 93. Do you remember a time when we took picture of something other than our own faces? And I'm not saying that taking the occasional selfie is a sin, but you gotta agree with me, it's a symptom. When we're doing it 93 million times a day, we might be a little bit obsessed with ourselves. And that, that, that self-reliance, that self-absorption, that, that selfishness is a source of tremendous incapacity. Whereas if we get out of ourselves 
and realize that, that we are to be focused upon, centered in, reliant upon, dependent upon, and if I may, obsessed with following Jesus, there we find strength, significance, impact. This last paragraph before the benediction deals, I believe, with the reality of faith. And specifically the reality of, of, of the faith. I believe we see uh, references to the proof of the reality of our faith, the profession of our reality of our faith, and the power of a real faith. So let's, let's look through the passage. Roman number one, the proof. In these first few verses of the chapter, these first couple of verses, I think he, he gives us three sort of, sort of apologetics for the reality of our faith. The, the largest and most evident apologetic for our faith is the very fact of creation. You see in a building, you know there was an architect. You read a book, you know there was an author. If somebody didn't cheat with chat GPT. You see a creation, you know there was a creator. But, but within the functioning of his creation, he's provided at least in this passage, three great proofs. The first is the functioning church. The first full sentence of verse three says, he is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. Powerful among you. God is powerful among the, the men and women, students and children that comprise the McGregor Baptist Church family. God is up to stuff. I've watched him do things in so many of your lives. I know so many of the stories of the specific impact. Some of you have come to faith in Christ through the, through the testimony of this body of Christ. Some of you have seen deep healing in your life through the testimony of this body of Christ. Some of you have gained victory over some persistent sin because of the testimony to the word of God in your, in your life group, among your friends from this platform, this body of Christ. The relationship network is tied together well and I pray that you're participating in it through, through life groups and other means that are available. God is moving among this body of Christ and that's a miracle when you think about it. I earlier alluded to the fact that from nations to neighborhoods, people don't get along. Our HOA in my, my little neighborhood sent out the word on next year's HOA budget. And it involves a bit of a bump to our monthly fees. And in all of our neighborhood online communication, I believe I've, I, I don't believe I've ever seen a group of people so eager to set one another on fire. It is rancorous. If you're on an HOA board of directors, more power to you. No, pardon me, you probably have plenty of power. Um, <laughs> may God bless your ministry. Uh, serve, serve faithfully. Um, I thought Baptists and their budgets could get a little weird. And nations, of course. But look around you. I mean, literally take a moment. We'll lose eye contact, but we'll be okay. Take a moment, look around you. We are a crazy mixed bag of humanity. We, we come from different generations. I'm a little child of the 60s and a teenager of the 70s. 
young adults of the 80s. Those were some incredible eras. And they and a not quite know what's going on of the 2020s, but I'm getting there. We come from all kinds of different geographical backgrounds. I know that because some of y'all talk funny. <laughs> Preferences all over the place. Aspirations all over the place. And here we are, studying God's word together, growing together, challenging one another together, worshiping our king together. If you don't understand that the function of the body of Christ is a miraculous testimony to a God who's up to stuff, you just don't understand what this body of Christ is doing. You need to look around and get in on it. The functional church is a proof of the reality of our faith. Second, since creation, the greatest apologetic is the re resurrection of Christ. Verse five, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. We serve a savior who is not dead. He came to dwell among us. He died for us and he lives to lead us. We do not memorialize a martyr we follow a risen Lord. Hallelujah indeed. It's histories, it is for its period in history, it is the most incontrovertible and documented fact. If you wish to be an intellectual apologist, I challenge you in this way. Find a single historical event from 2,000 years ago and check the written record regarding the actuality of that event. Check the history of anything that purports to have happened 2,000 years ago. See how much actual eyewitness documentation there is to it. Compare that to the resurrection of Christ and you will find the resurrection of Christ is ancient history's highest standard of eyewitness documented miraculous event. You can argue philosophy of religion all day long if that's your bent. You can do comparative world religions till you're blue in the face. Jesus Christ did not stay dead. Your worldview better reckon with that incontrovertible fact. Third, individual changed lives. We live with him by the power of God, says verse four, the latter part of the verse. Oh my, I had a brother catch me just before this service saying he was about to share his testimony in life group that I have any last minute tips. And I said, brother, since you asked, My life before I knew Jesus. Story of how I came to know Jesus. And this one's important. We'll see why in a moment. What's been going on since I met Jesus? And he said, ooh, I might use that. <laughs> Brother, sister, use that. Tell them about Jesus. It's an apologetic to the reality of your faith that you can tell the story of a trans 
transformed life. And knowing that story and having that story and being secure in that story and grounded in that story gets us to, Roman numeral two on your outline, the profession. The profession. Verse five is nonsense or it's a necessary discipline in the life of the believer. Let me give you a hint, it's not nonsense. The two imperatives in verse five and verse, uh, verse five, first and second sentence, examine and test, are in the present tense in the, original, in the original Greek. And the Greek present functions a little bit differently than the English present if you, if you tweak it a bit. The, the Greek present speaks to ongoing action in the present time. So you can expand both of those. They're not one-offs. It's not, okay, test that and check it off. Okay, examine that and check it off. Rather, what's, what's being said is, be one who examines. Be one who tests the reality of your faith. I, I've spoken of this before. It's a deep concern of mine that somehow a generation of evangelicals in North America particularly have taught themselves that the, the most important basis of your security is a one-time act back there somewhere. If you pray that prayer in a minute, walk the aisle, fill out an index card. And the important thing is that I can say that on that 2.13 in the afternoon on September 19th, 1973, I did all those right things. Therefore, on that basis, I know myself to be in the faith. Now, it's not a bad thing to know the time and place specifically that you came to faith in Christ. There certainly is a point where we pass from darkness to light. There is certainly a point where we enter into the Messiah's kingdom. But listen to me carefully, because if you almost understand me, what I'm about to say is wrong. Understand what I'm saying. If the evidence for your new birth is five minutes of religious behavior back there somewhere, and a, and a bit of a churchy habit layered on top of it, you ought to be concerned for your soul. You should be concerned for your soul. If you have some religious behaviors back there somewhere, but a non-transformed life, and no passion to follow Jesus today, you ought to be concerned for your soul. That's why we are examining to see whether we're in the faith. We are testing ourselves. There is an ongoing evaluation, Roman 2, A, 1, ongoing evaluation of self that verse 5 calls us to. And I'm going to give you a, 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 a really simple, I think, tool for that based and grounded thoroughly in God's word in a moment. Not only an ongoing evaluation of self, but as we love one another, as we are concerned for one another's well-being, as our lives are knit together, specifically in the body of Christ, there is to be, number two, an ongoing evaluation of others. Russell, the, the, the Bible says, do not judge. Well, hang on to your hat, because that's not all the Bible says. 
The Bible does forbid that you and I would assign motives to one another. I am not allowed to make up my version of why you do what you do, write that novel in my head, and hold you responsible for the novel I have written in my head regarding why you do what you do. That is specifically forbidden. But I am not forbidden, and you're not either, that we would look at one another's lives and hold one another to an ongoing examination of the reality of our faith. That's what the, the, the relationships in the body of Christ in part are supposed to be accomplishing. Let's look at some verses. First Peter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Our willingness to hold up our testimonies to a truth examination verifies those testimonies for presentation to the outside world. 1 Corinthians 5.12. For what have I to do with outsiders? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? What does that verse say? You know what? Hot flash. Lost people are going to act like lost people. Ooh. You say, well, they're, they're acting like they don't know God. They, they are. They will. They do. But inside, we are to... Remember, the opposite of love is apathy. I don't care what he does. You are failing to love. We are to spur one another to good works. We are to love one another. And as part of that, we're to have an eye toward how we're doing. John 7, 24. Jesus said, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And finally, 1 John 4, verse 1 says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. That is, don't believe everyone who comes to you saying they have a word for you from God. But test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Some of my very, very favorite emails begin with, Brother Russell, I don't think I agree with you. I know that I better, I better, I better brace myself for a blessing. Because that means somebody knows enough to be listening, cares enough to be seeking to overlay something I've said with, with a biblical understanding, and desires relationship enough to, to let's, let's talk about our disagreement. That blesses me tremendously. Now, in the course of that conversation, if we're just playing dueling opinions, we both, both ought to get bored pretty quick. But if we're talking about, I understand Scripture in this way, and you understand Scripture in that way, and it's a joy to follow Jesus together, our church has a confession of faith that sets the boundaries, let's have a good time going back and forth a little bit. That's the, that is the funnest thing that I do at work. I just adore discussing God's word with people who might have a five or six degree difference than me on something.
And by the way, 30 or 40 years of recorded material, I often disagree with me. I promise I disagreed with me before you disagreed with me. I'm disagreeable. <laughs> it's why we test constantly and we hold each other up constantly. Now, the diagnosis, number, number uh, letter B on your outline, a biblical diagnosis, I'll give you this tool. It's on the back of your outline. I'm gonna go into some depth on it. Uh, well, not much depth, but I'm gonna hit it a little bit this week on Beyond the Notes. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Paul Togas is not anyone I've ever known, but I found, I found him online. He and I have swapped some emails. He's given me permission to use this summation. I was working on my own summation because see, 1 John 5.13 says this about the book of 1 John. This verse we're at right now says, be testing yourself, be examining yourself. 1 John is written for the specific purpose of facilitating that test. John says, I write these things. This is 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what the book of 1 John is for. The book of 1 John is so you can obey 2 Corinthians 13.5. Pastor Paul has given a, a summation better than I could come up with. Mine was book length. Surprise, surprise. Pastor Paul has given a, a good, workable summation. I've given you his webpage. I've given you his, I've checked these. They're right. He's true to the text. These, this is the summation of what 1 John says ought to be true about you this is not do these things and be saved. We do not hold to salvation by works. This is see if you are these things in order that you may be confident you are saved. And a biblical confidence grounded in the descriptions of saved characteristics from the word of God is worth far more than a historical narrative of some church hoop you once jumped through. With all respect to church hoops. Finally, the power. What, what impact, what power shows up from the reality of our faith? Well, first, the power to act in truth. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth, says verse eight. We act in truth, we're rooted in truth. Simon Peter made an astonishingly true confession when he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord responded, that truth, that confession is the rock upon which I will build my church. Our Christian experience is grounded on truth. By the way, the church is not built on Simon Peter, please. The church is built on the confession Simon Peter made that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's truth. And our whole function descends from and moves in truth. We don't have to believe anything that's not true. There's a great deal of revealed truth we have the privilege of believing. The power to act in truth, the power to truly act for others. Paul says, he's, he's used this weak, strong motif sort of repeatedly through these last chapters of 2 Corinthians, and here he brings it out one more time. I'm glad if my weakness has contributed to your becoming stronger. 
Because see, the Apostle Paul has long ago passed. The Apostle Paul's life is not about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Apostle Paul's life is about Jesus' glory and the good, in this case, of the church at Corinth. The capacity to disengage from selfish motivation, counter to everything this lost world is screaming at you. Be true to yourself. What a mess that will get you in. Be true to Jesus. You're busted. You are broken and deeply defective. I'm worse. The last thing in the world, this world or our Savior's kingdom needs is for you to be true to yourself. Be true to the word of God and the living word of God who is Jesus. And act on behalf of others for his glory and their good. And finally, the power to be used of God in the lives of others. The goal of the believer is that the, the, the influence blast radius of your life, as you, as you think biblically about what your life is for, your life is largely centered as you are a witness, as you are an ambassador, that the, the people you encounter would be nudged in the direction of the kingdom of God and the glory of the king. That's why you're here. That's the big why. Paul says, you know, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that, that when I come, I don't, have to be, I don't have to glorify God by knocking things over. I can glorify God by setting things up. Either way, I'm going to glorify God in my relationship with you. Is, is, is that consciously why you're aware you're in the relationships you're in? It's for the glory of God. Into this broken and defective world full of incapacitated people, Jesus Christ came. And he lived he died and he rose and yes he's coming again in the meantime all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved the greatest Christian missionary theologian who ever lived the apostle Paul said to a group of people that he loved from Ephesus that when I was with you I didn't hold back anything that was profitable but I spoke repeatedly of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold back nothing that is profitable, but talk about repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. And if you've never done that, as evidenced by the fact that there's no concern to follow Jesus today, followers of Jesus are following Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, why wouldn't you start today? Turn from your sin. Trust him by faith. Become the heir of the internal changes he will make. And you'll have the best and most thankful thanksgiving you ever had. Because you can thank him for what he has eternally accomplished for you. The absorption of God's wrath that you had earned 
now absorbed by him so that the open door of grace sits before you that you can know God now and forever. Let's tell people that this week. Let's be so grateful we get noticed. And when we get noticed, let's tell them about Jesus.